you, you may know this. Uh, you may, I, don't, I don't know how you feel about our, our government and, um, and everything, but um, every once in a while, our federal government does something right. I, I know I, it's hard, I know sometimes to believe that because we like to make fun and poke fun at, at our government, but I'm going back to November 13th, 1861. I'm sure you don't have to go back that far, all right, to find something that the government did right, but I'm going back that far because there was a minister from Pennsylvania, and his name was M.R. Watkinson, and he wrote a letter to the government. He wrote a letter specifically to the Secretary of Treasury, who was Salmon P. Chase. That was the the man's name. And and get this, the letter actually got read by the government. He wrote a letter to the government, and they read it. And and it said this. This is what, what the letter said. Dear sir, you are about to submit your annual report to the Congress respecting the affairs of the national finances. Minister writing this letter to the Secretary of Treasury. One fact touching our currency has hitherto been seriously overlooked. I mean the recognition of the Almighty God in some form on our coins. He then said, you are probably a Christian. I don't know if you could say that today, uh, but he said that. And after making his suggestion for what the coin should look like, He said this would make a beautiful coin to which no possible citizen could object. This would relieve us from the ignominy, which is a fancy word, but it means public shame, of heathenism, those that don't belong to a religion. This would place us openly under the divine protection we have personally claimed. From my heart, I have felt our national shame in disowning God is not the least of our present national disasters. Secretary Chase read the letter, and then an even bigger miracle occurred. The government responded. Listen to what he said. Chase wrote back not just seven days later. He said, Dear Sir, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God or safe except in his defense. And the trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. And after working with his people in the Treasury Department, they determined that on our coins should be four words. And what are those words? God we trust. That's right. See, at one point in our history, our government certainly recognized God as the one who owns it all, who guides us, and who protects us as a nation. It was God that made these United States a very rich nation. We are very rich But I ask you, are you rich? Are you rich? The answer is yes. When you compare yourself to the rest of the world, you are rich. I know you personally may not feel very rich, but you are. I'll give you some perspective. In 2019, the median household income in the United States was the same as in Macomb County, which actually was the same in St. Clair Shores. The median household income was $65,000 a year. So the average family, compared to the rest of the world, would be in the 98th percentile. That means if your household income is $65,000, you are making more than 98% of the rest of the world. In fact, a teenager 
working part-time at minimum wage would make more than half of the world. That's how wealthy we are here in America. Let me give it to you another way. If you have access to clean water, you're rich. If you don't have to go outside to go to the bathroom, you've got a toilet in your house, you're rich. That's the reality of our nation. We are very wealthy. The question I really want you to think about, though, is this. Which rich are you? Are you godly rich or are you ungodly rich? That's the question that's most important today. As you'll hear in Jesus' teaching, the godly rich give cheerfully and excessively. And they do uh, that with a response to what God has given them. That's why I wanted us to pray about giving thanks to what God has given us, because all of it comes from God. You see, God has made us with this core need to give. When you give to God, you're giving back to him every, just a, a little bit of what he's given to you. You're, you're, you're give, giving is a form of worship. It really truly is. When you, when you think about what is worship, it's a response to God. You sang songs. You're responding to God. You, hear, you read your Bible, you hear truth, you hear a message preached, you're responding to God. It's worship. Giving is a, wor- a way to worship. And giving is, is a core need. It's something that we have to do. We want to do, actually. It's, it, you feel good when you give, don't you? Because God made you that way. You're hardwired that way. God, it's a core need of ours. We want to give. And when we give in response to what God has given us, we'll find this amazing truth. No matter how much you shovel out, God always has a bigger shovel. It is a truth. You might be a giver and and you might give with a little shovel. And and that's good because you're giving. And, and, And you'll shovel it out and you'll shovel it out. And that's a good thing. Or you might be, you know, a little bit more of a bigger giver. you got a bigger giver, a bigger shovel. And you, you shovel it out, and, and you give. You like to give, all right? Or you might even have a ladle. And you can shovel it out and shovel it out, and you can give, and you can give, and you can give. But no matter what you do, God has a bigger shovel. You didn't know that was hiding back there, did you? God always has a bigger shovel than you. No matter how much you give, God always has more. You can't outgive God. You never will be able to do it. So, people in general like to categorize wealth as rich or poor. Are you rich or are you poor? But the Bible actually gives us four categories. Godly rich, Godly poor, ungodly rich, and ungodly poor. So let's begin with Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? Was he rich or was he poor? He was both. He was rich, then he became poor, and now he's rich again. Let me explain. 
in John 1.1. We have that up on the screen for you. The very first verse of the Gospel of John. It says that in the beginning was the Word. That's what John used to describe Jesus. Capital W, the Word. It means lo, lo, the Word is logos. It means all-encompassing, understanding, meaning. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And it says that the Word was with God because the Word was God. So if Jesus was with God, if Jesus was God, then that kind of makes him godly, doesn't it? He's godly. Then it says in verse 3, all things were made from him. So he created everything. He made everything. Well, if you make everything, you can create everything. You own everything. That makes you pretty rich, doesn't it? Yeah, so he was godly rich. Now think about this. You're in heaven, and in heaven is... We can't comprehend the wealth of heaven. You know, you, you could live down here in Gross Point or Bloomfield Hills, or Birmingham, three of the richest cities in Michigan, and those places are a dump compared to heaven. You could go buy Art Van's mansion on Lakeshore Drive and be disappointed because you left heaven to come to that. You see, that's what Jesus did. He left heaven. He left. He was rich. And he left to come here. He moved. He moved to Bethlehem. And then his family moved to Egypt. And then they finally settled in a little town called Nazareth, of which one of his disciples said, nothing good comes out of Nazareth, because it's a poor town. And his parents were so poor, Joseph and Mary, that they couldn't even afford the usual offering to bring to the temple. Instead, they had to bring the poor person's offering, which was some doves. So Jesus was poor for 33 years that he lived on this earth and doing his ministry. He was poor, but he did miracles and he did amazing teachings and he never sinned. So therefore, he was godly, poor. He was godly rich and then he was godly poor. And then after his death and resurrection, they airlifted him back to heaven and he now sits at the right hand of the Father and he's godly rich again. So my point here is this. The truth of God's word teaches us this. It's not about how much money you have. It's about whether or not you're godly or ungodly. Jesus was godly rich and he was godly poor. And since you live in America, you're rich, so I want you to be godly rich. I want to be godly rich. We're already rich. We just need to be godly. That's the point, the, the title, if you will, of this message. Now, as I was preparing all of the messages for the first half of the year, because we're finishing up the harmony of the Gospels, going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together, harmonizing them together. And as I was looking through them, I realized that in the Gospel of Luke, which is where Jesus is at the last six months of his life, and he's in this this area called Perea. So he's moved out of Galilee. He's he's in Perea and he's teaching a lot of, doing a lot of teachings, a lot of parables. And I noticed that that Luke likes to write a lot about um, rich people. Now Luke was a doctor, so it kind of makes sense, you know, he wanted to write about rich people. But in, in the Luke 12 through 19, if you go home and read Luke 12 
through 19, those chapters, you'll see in there the parable of the rich fool, the rich man and Lazarus, the rich young ruler, and then you'll read about Zacchaeus, a rich short guy. <laughs> We're going to cover it all. All right? I'm going to cover it all. First, I want to put up on the screen for you verse 21 of Luke 12. All of these examples I give you today teach us one thing. Be godly rich. Otherwise, there are some dire consequences. As this verse says, Jesus told all of his disciples, you will lose everything if you lay up treasure for yourself and you're not rich toward God. Be rich. Be godly rich. That's what it is. That's the message. But I want to be as pragmatic as I can because I like being practical, don't you? You don't want a message that goes over your head. You don't want a message that you can't actually take home and apply, right? You want something that you can use in your life. I do too. So we look at this first question. What do you do when God gives you more than you need? What do you do? I like that answer. You share. Usually people laugh, though, when I say, what do you do when God gives you more than you need? Because you're probably thinking, uh, I don't really have more than I need. You know, we're, we're, we're not in, uh, I'm not preaching in Gross Point or Bloomfield Hills or Birmingham. Um, so a lot of times we feel like we don't have what we need. But I think we do. Does God give you more than you need? I think he does. We just don't always discern very well between wants and needs. Am I right? We, we, we have a hard time with that. We always want more. We just don't need more. In America, we have this problem with margin. Margin is what happens when you spend less than what you make. But the average American spends more than they make, which is why we have a serious debt problem. But we do have more than we need. We have extras. Just go home and open up your closets. Yeah, your kids have enough toys to start a daycare. <laughs> Ladies, how many pairs of shoes you got? Guys, how many expensive toys do you have? How many tools do you have? And wh what about the food that we consume? There's a reason why Sam's Club, Costco, and BJ's are all booming businesses. I mean, when we look in the mirror, we realize we got a little extra that we don't need. Am I right? I could say that in January because you probably have a, a resolution. Do you, do you still love me, by the way? Because I just told you you have too many shoes and too many toys and you're overweight. You you sure you still love me? I hope you do. My point is, we all have extra. We all have more than we need. And what do we do with that? Well, the parable of the rich fool, Luke 12, verse 16. If you have your Bible with you, you can follow along with me. I'm going to mark this in your Bible to, to read it later. But here it is. Jesus said, told a parable, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. In other words, he had more than he needed. And the man thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my extra crops. So he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my, and I'll add this, perfectly good barns, 
and I'll build larger ones. And then I'll store up my extra grain and my extra goods, and I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, marry, go fishing. I added that part. But God said, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then verse 21 again, who is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God? You see, the ungodly rich will take their extras and build bigger barns so they can admire their wealth, but the reality is it's a false sense of control. It's kind of a way people like to have control over their lives, by admiring their wealth. I don't want to be face-to-face with God someday and hear him say, I'm really disappointed that you didn't use your extras to be a blessing to other people. In the New Testament, there's a businesswoman named Lydia. Lydia was very well off because she sold purple cloths and made a very good um, business out of it. And she had, um, well-known in the city, um, she had more than she needed. She had extra. Well, the Apostle Paul, on his mission trip, came to Philippi, which is where she lived, And he went out to a place of prayer, and he shared the gospel and shared um, the truth about Jesus. And Lydia heard the truth, and she got saved. She accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And she wanted to share. She wanted to give the extra that she had. So she invited Paul and his missionary buddies into her house. She took care of them. Every time they came back to Philippi, she took care of them. And I imagine she gave to the church every chance she got. She was rich towards the church. And that's the first point I want to make. Be godly rich towards his church. If you ever wonder why Jesus is taking so long? Why hasn't he come back yet? You know, it's getting kind of bad around here. It's getting rough. It's because the church is called to go and make disciples to the ends of the earth. I think we have a responsibility in, 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 I'm thankful that he's patient because he wants everyone to know the truth, but this is why we need to be godly rich towards his church. This is why we need missionaries. Just talk with, with the missionary the other day about how many languages, how many people groups there are that don't have a Bible in their own language. You get to come here and hear the Bible and hear the truth about God, but there's people that can't because the Bible isn't in their language. They don't know. And so there's, there's efforts to make that happen. And, it, it, and it, it, it takes our extra. We need to be godly rich. Give in a godly way. What if you had an extra $100? You have an extra $100. What could the church do with the $100? I'll tell you what this church could do. We have um, monthly youth events planned coming up here in 2022 so that we can win lost teenagers to Christ. So we can build relationships with them and help them see the love of God that, that he has for them. I, I worked 16 years in the public schools. I've long believed that the biggest mission field in North America is in the public school system. And we have an opportunity as a church to make a difference. We are called 
to make a difference. What about $1,000? You got an extra $1,000? We have big events that we have planned in 2022. One of those big events is our marriage conference, Strengthening Marriages. And we have an incredible speaker that's going to come. Instead of having a dinner like we've had in the past, which has been extremely popular, we have a conference plan, a three-hour conference where we'll come and we'll finish with a dinner. And, and, and what $1,000 could do to that could invite even more couples. We've had generally around 25 to 30 couples. We could have 60 couples come and have their marriage strengthened, built up. We could do that with an extra $1,000. What if you had an extra $5,000? Chris Gens is a missionary that we support here at this church. I, our family supports him um, as well, and he lost some of his funding. He's only at 85%. He's a missionary pastor on the campus of Western Michigan University. He's constantly um, leading um, young adults into the big decisions that they're making in their life, and he's leading them to Christ and helping them see the truth of the gospel, and he's only at 85%, so he has to take some of his time to try to raise support. What could $5,000 do? It could get him back to 100%, and he could focus all of his efforts on getting the, the gospel to college students on that campus. Do you have an extra $25,000? I know, I think big. We could add staff, people to, to dedicate hours and hours to ministry, to our children, to our youth, to getting the gospel to St. Clair Shores, to the 60,000 in our community in the 10-mile radius, there's even more that we reach out to that, that we believe need to know the love of Jesus Christ. If you're thinking right now, well, I don't have $25,000, Pastor, but I got 20 bucks. I got an extra $20. What can I do with $20? I'll tell you what you can do. You can take someone out to lunch and tell them your faith story. Tell them the story of how you became a Christian. $20 will get you a cup of coffee or a, or a lunch and take someone out and do that. And if you're like, well, I don't really know a non-believer, well, get out of that Christian bubble you're living in because I know lots of non-believers. And if you're too shy, take me out to lunch. I'll train you up. I'll show you how to do it. You might need more than 20 bucks, though. Be godly rich towards his church because, folks, we got a lot of work to do before Jesus comes back, don't we? We do. So we got to be godly rich. We also need to be godly rich towards our neighbor. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is where we do it with individuals loving and giving. They go hand in hand. Jesus tells this story about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus. And whenever Jesus tells a parable, he never uses names. But in this particular one, he uses a name, which kind of makes me believe it's not really a parable, but it's a true story. In the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus was a poor, homeless man that begged every day for this rich man to give him some food, and he never did. They die. They both die. This is the story that I a lot of times will tell at funerals because it's kind of a this is what happens after you die. And the rich, uh, uh, the, the poor man, the Lazarus, he was godly poor because he went to be with the Lord and he was at peace after death. He was, he was with the Lord. He was at peace. 
But the ungodly rich man went to a horrible place, and he was not at peace. He was in torment. He begged Lazarus. He yelled across this great chasm, begging him to go let his family know that this is the result. This is what happens. You, you, when, when you die, that's it. The decision has been made. I don't care what uh, mainline uh, churches teach that you can buy your um, relatives into heaven, you can light a candle, you can pray a prayer. It doesn't work that way. You're picking up what I'm laying down here. It doesn't work that way. You've got to make your decision now. That's why we've got to be godly rich right now to our neighbors. And we've got to meet real needs. We can use the money that God has given us to meet real needs. There's a, a funny meme I saw on social media. It kind of makes a point. It's about, there's a picture of a, a guy, I assume, at Starbucks. And it says, uh, stop paying it forward. The guy behind you can afford his own $5 cup of coffee. Tip the waiter instead, or tip the staff person instead. Makes a good point, you know. Tip, tip someone, kind of makes you think. We like to give, right? We, that's why we pay it forward. We feel good about ourselves. Oh, we bought that guy a cup of coffee. <laughs> he can afford 10 cups of coffee, probably, if he's at Starbucks, right? That's kind of the point it's making. We drop off our clothes at Salvation Army to make room for the new clothes we've already bought. I don't know that that's being godly rich to our neighbor, meeting a real need. Students, teenagers, you got a friend that never gets a home-cooked meal? Because there's a lot of them. Over 50% of families, households in Macomb County are single-parent households. Over 50%. Been that way for a while. Teens, you know somebody doesn't get a home-cooked meal? Why don't you invite them over to your house, assuming You cook a home-cooked meal every once in a while. Invite them into your home. Invite them into your life. You have a parent, a single parent you know that's struggling to make ends meet? Pay their rent once. Buy them a grocery gift card. Give to your neighbor. Be godly rich to your neighbor. And if you don't know where there's a need, which I often get that, you know, pastor, oh, this is a really great message, and I really want to be godly rich to my neighbor. I want to love my neighbor. But I don't know where there's a need. Pray. Ask God where he's at work. Ask God to show you who is in need. I promise you, he'll show you. He'll show you. And it'll probably be pretty quick that he shows you. And you never know what God's going to do with your generosity. In the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, there was a man named Boaz. Boaz was godly rich. You might know the story. I don't have the the time to unpack it all, but I'll just tell you. He owned many fields. He was a wealthy man, and there was a relative of his named Naomi who came back to town. She had left town with her husband and her two sons, and they had started a new life in a a foreign place. And uh, unfortunately, during that time, her, her husband died and her two sons died. And the only person she had left was her daughter-in-law named Ruth. And, her, and Ruth clung to her and she said, you know, your God will be my God and, and I'm going to go wherever you go. And, and so they went back to their hometown and they got there and, and they didn't have any food, they didn't have anything. They had their clothes on their back and, well, Boaz was godly rich. He, he took care of these two ladies. And, and he didn't do it with, with anything in mind. He didn't want anything in return. He was just being godly rich 
towards his neighbor. And let me tell you what God did. He blessed Boaz. Because Boaz married Ruth. And they had a little boy, and that little boy's name was Obed. And Obed grew up, and he got married, and he had a little boy, and his name was Jesse. And Jesse grew up and got married, and his boy's name, you know, is David. And David is the line of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You don't know what God can do when you give in a godly way, when you're generous towards your neighbor. Lastly, be rich towards Jesus. In Luke 18, 18, a rich, young ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, have you obeyed those commandments? My big ten? The rich, young ruler proudly and pridefully said, Yes, yes I have. He was proud of himself. He had obeyed all the commandments. But then in verse 22, Jesus heard and said, One thing you still lack. Sell all you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Uh Uh-oh. He doesn't want to do that. Because in verse 23 it says, He heard it. He became very sad because he was extremely rich. But as you can tell, he was ungodly rich. He didn't want to part with his wealth because he loved it more than he loved God. He was a religious man. He followed all the rules, but he wasn't a godly man. He wasn't godly rich. Remember Jesus said earlier in his ministry, you can't serve God and money because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. This rich young ruler, I think Jesus had in mind. Because God wants your whole heart. And he's saying, don't store up possessions. Don't surrender your possessions. Otherwise, they'll possess you. And that's what was happening to this rich young ruler. He couldn't worship God with all his heart because he was worshiping his money. And here's the thing. I firmly believe that if this rich young ruler said, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll give it all away. I believe with all my heart that Jesus would have said, you know what, on second thought, keep it. Use it to bless other people. I don't want your money. I want your heart. I think there's a misnomer with Christians today that they think, oh, if you're a Christian, then you're supposed to be poor. No. There's some really wealthy, godly, rich people out there, and God just keeps shoveling it in. He just keeps shoveling it in because he's got a bigger shovel and you can't outgive God. Joseph of Arimathea was a godly rich man. In fact, he was setting himself up for the end of his life and he bought a tomb. A very wealthy man purchased a tomb. So you know it was, it was like creme de la creme, right? It was the best of the best. And he had bought that for himself. And and he was going to, you know, that was his final resting place. Well, at one point, this Joseph became a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died, Joseph proved he was godly rich. Because he went to Pilate 
And he asked for the body of Jesus. And then it says in verse 46 of Mark 15, he bought a linen shroud and he took Jesus down from the cross and he wrapped him in the linen shroud and he laid him in his tomb that had been cut out of the rock and then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And that fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 53.9 where it says, his grave will be with a rich man. It's perfectly okay to make plans for the future like Joseph did. There's nothing wrong with, with being rich, but be rich towards Jesus. If Jesus says, follow me this way, if God says, you need to do this, you need to do it. You might be saving up for something really big, but if God says, I got something bigger planned, let's use that money over here instead, you need to do that. You need to be godly rich and follow Jesus. I got one more example um, before... And I wrote in my notes here, before the band comes up, uh, today the band is Jamie, and I think she's doing awesome. Let me just uh, say this about this whole message, especially if you're uh, first time here, and um, you know, when it comes to, to sharing a talk about giving, um, giving is a, is a heart thing. It's a heart thing, and, and I believe that if you're a casual a follower of Jesus Christ, then this is the kind of message that probably goes in one ear and out the other. You know, if you don't really commit to God and to his church, then when it comes to giving, it's pretty easy, because I've been there. You know, I started that way as well. You know, I thought I was a big shooter when I put a 20 in the offering plate, you know, or maybe 40 if I was feeling real generous. But if you don't give cheerfully and give proportionally, it could be, the problem could be, you're not seeing what God has given you. You're, you're not making the connection from what God has given you. And that's why I saved the best for last, Zacchaeus, the short, rich guy. All right, He made the connection. He discovered that giving is a way where you can worship God. And he gave in response to what God had given him. And God had given him a new heart, a new life. Let's look at that story. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus was walking through Jericho, passing through, and behold, verse 2, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now, who's Zacchaeus? A chief tax collector, which, by the way, would make him despised by all his fellow Jewish people. If you're a tax collector, you're basically taking money from your own people. And he was the chief tax collector, and he was ungodly rich. And he was seeking, though, to see who this Jesus was, who he'd heard so much about, because it's been three years, and Jesus was pretty famous. But on the account of the crowd following Jesus, he couldn't see because he was small in stature. So what did Zacchaeus do? He found a tree, a sycamore tree. He ran on ahead, climbed up the sycamore tree, And as Jesus was about to pass by, imagine him just kind of looking down. There he is, there he is, here he comes, here he comes. He's expecting him to go by. But Jesus walks right up to that tree and looks up at him. Verse 5 says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house today, and I assume for dinner. So if I ever invite myself over to your house for dinner, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. 
Verse 6, he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. The others. He's gone to be in the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And then Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. And the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The heart of Zacchaeus was forever changed when he met Jesus. And he received more than he could ever shovel out. He started giving back. You see his dedication, his commitment? He made a commitment that he was going to give half of his savings. I mean, think about it. You got half of your savings. And he just says, going to give it away. It's important. You've given me so much, Lord. I'm going to give it away. And then all those people that he kind of overcharged, because that's what they would do as tax collectors. Peter, I overcharged you $100. Here's four times. Here's 400. John screwed you over for 200. Here's 800. James 250. Here's 1,000. He went from ungodly rich to godly rich in one day. And it's all about the perspective. Because when God gives you more than you can ever repay or give away, then you find it fun to be godly rich, to shovel it out. Because remember, God made you in such a way that you need to give. It's a core need of ours. We want to give. God made us that way. And it doesn't matter how good we are, how big of a ladle we have to give it away, God always has the bigger shovel. We can't outgive God. And so when we give, give that way. Be godly rich. Know what God has given you. And God will bless you. And I didn't even bring up the, the verses in Malachi where it says, it's the one place in the whole Bible where God says, go ahead and test me. It's really not a good idea to test God. Except in this one area, God says, you can test me. Test me in giving and see if I don't pour out the blessings on you when you give to me with all your heart. We didn't have our our usual prayer for our offering after the, the music. Um, because I just simply wanted to be the one who prays for offering today, because I knew I was giving a message on offering. And as you can see, we have lots of ways to, to give here at Life of Purpose, to give to his church. We have a screen up here on the screen that will show you, and we talk about it all the time. You can give in the offering table back there with an envelope, or you can give online, um, you can, you can set up recurring giving and, and make a commitment to give proportionally and cheerfully. Um, but ultimately, what I want to do is I just want to pray that when you give, you give because you're godly rich, because you understand what God has given you, and, and it comes from the heart, because that's really the best way to give. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word how it changes us, how it 
it just informs us, it, it, and then it transforms us if we allow it, if it, if it, if it lands on fertile soil. Uh, Father, I pray that your word today would transform us into being excessively extravagant givers. Because no matter what we do, God, no matter how much we give, you will give us more. And, and God, I pray that as we give, we, we give because we see the connection that it helps, it helps us reach those that you've called us to reach. Whether it's right here in our own hometown or if it's on a mission trip to the ends of the earth, Father, I pray that we would be faithful. We'd be faithful as we give. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Will you stand for our, our final song?